gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with you to share a Sunday slash Monday, starting off the week here. I hope you all had a nice Father's Day, first of all. Such an important role, job, whatever you want to call it, to all you Father's Day, like I wrote on my on my gram. If you're doing it right, I salute you. We take our hats off to everyone that's doing it right. And guess what? If you're lagging. Tighten your game is all I can say because, uh, we, you know, kids look up to their, their fathers, their father figures, and it's never too late. All right. Again, I hope you all had a really, really nice weekend. Uh, we did. And thank you to some of you that extended wishes towards our our, our dad. Um, okay. So we had PFL week four of the 2022 campaign. We're going to discuss that. The lightweights and the light heavyweights were in action. We're also going to discuss UFC on ES, uh, what's it called? On ESPN 36, 37, sorry. We're going to talk about that card. They were in Austin, Texas. It was a fight night. We'll discuss both of those cards and, of course, some of the latest news. It's MMA Junkie Radio on a Sunday for your Monday, June 19th. Excuse me. Eight. Excuse me. 20th delivery. I apologize. You know, I'm thrown off a little bit because we did a 24, 36 hour trip to California to spend Father's Day with our dad. And while we were there, goes, I saw a Juneteenth celebration on CNN. And right now, I was staring at the calendar, and I go, June 19th. So yesterday was Juneteenth, and I was watching a replay. But, of course, Monday, June 20th is the drop day. Mondays and Thursdays here. We try and do it early for our overseas audience. But, yeah, Mondays and Thursdays are the uh, the uh, the days that we drop the show. So I'm, I'm just throwing off. It was a whirlwind trip. We're back. We're ready to go. We're going to go in reverse order there. I know we'll get to PFL in just a sec. I want to get to it. Austin, Texas, you guys brought it. Well, the fighters brought it, but as an audience, you guys brought it as well. It really, really was fun to be planted here on my ass for like uh, freaking six hours and a half just watching and watching and live betting and losing, unfortunately. But still, what a card. It was awesome. So let's talk about it. Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett did not disappoint. They were the main event at UFC on ESPN 37. Uh, these are featherweights, some of the top guys in the world, jockeying for position to see who will face possibly the winner of Alex Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, part three. Barring any, we got to run it back, you know, because it is two nothing, Volkanovsky, but Holloway's look good. Um. Man, you know what? This is a fight where I can't even start to tell you how to score the damn thing. I thought Cater had a 2-1 disadvantage going to 4-5 and and that he won 4-5 and 
and so he was going to be uh, anointed the winner. But I also knew all the rounds were pretty damn close. Josh Emmett was the winner. He got a split decision. You can tell by Cater's camp. They're confused. I'm confused. I'm going to have to watch this after a good night's sleep just to see what was scored, what was looked at, or whatever. There were some bizarre scores earlier, but back to this fight, I still thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Both guys brought it, but I will say this, because you know what the difference was? I still think Cater had another gear that he just didn't get to, or if he did, he didn't do it as often as I've seen him do it in other fights, whereas Emmett, I feel like Emmett brought it. I mean, Emmett maybe could have wrestled, because he does come from that background just a little bit, but he chose not to. Um, both gas tanks held up, and I know Emmett's got a <laughs> he's got a clown face this morning. I don't know if you've seen it, you know, just the way he welts up and shit and bruises up. But he, uh, he, he, I thought he hit that fifth gear a little bit more often, and that's why he came out the winner. I think that was the difference in the fight because, um, you know, it's weird, like, for the way they looked at the end of the fight and the way sometimes they can fight in other fights, they can get a little chaotic. But in this fight, it's kind of like they've harnessed it a little bit, but I felt like Calvin maybe harnessed it a little bit more than Josh did. I felt like he held back a little bit. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the fight, I felt kind of confident that Josh Emmett was going to win. I think I kind of mentioned that before they read the scorecards. But I did think it was a close fight. Um, but, man, Calvin Cater, um, Josh Emmett's a tough customer. There's no way around it. And I don't want to disrespect them. But I do feel like Josh, or sorry, Calvin might have given away a couple rounds, especially early. You know who Cater reminded me of was Masvidal, younger Masvidal, where when they were standing there throwing, you could tell Emmett was nice, tight, but then he could get sloppy really, really fast. Whereas Cater usually stayed pretty nice and tight. It seems like his fundamentals, it seems like he's been doing it longer, has more reps, and therefore that's why his fundamentals are a little bit tighter. And however, he would get comfortable, but then get complacent. And I'm like, why? Because you could tell Emmett at times was frustrated with how slick Cater was. His footwork, his head movement, and the crisp jab that he had. It's just that, again, Cater would then kind of downshift. So we'll go with the freeway, right? The freeway is 70 miles an hour. The fast lane is usually 80, 90, 100, whatever. And it seemed like to me Cater could start to get there. Never really took it over 80. But then he would also downshift to just either 70 right there or maybe even to 65 and a little bit of cruise control. I don't know. You're right. I thought Cater could have left more out there because he was showing some superiority superiority at times. Now, granted, when you get hit and you get wobbled and you get checked or a little, it takes you a few seconds to kind of regain and, 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 and get composed again. But I don't know, but see, then it starts to sound like I'm making excuses, and I'm not because I thought Josh Emmett fought a pretty brilliant fight. Just like he told us, I know my gas tank will make it to 25 minutes, and, you know, like I say, when it's a close fight, it's left into the interpretations of three judges. We cannot say, even though Texas had some questionable judging, it was Chris Lee, Sal D'Amato, and Derek Cleary, I believe. So all well-known judges who have been doing this for a long time, we can't say, oh, wait, there was a name I didn't recognize or anything like that, like like down in Singapore. Nope, nope, that wasn't the case. Again, three top judges just did their best with the data that you fed them, 
And that's how they gave you the winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was a close fight. I think if you went either way, it definitely get the word robbery out of your mouth. It was nothing like that. It was just a close fight. But but I felt like Josh Emmett gave everything he had. And Calvin kind of held back a little bit. Now, if opening up means being reckless, then I kind of get it a little bit. But still, that's just what, what he needed to, to win this fight. Um, I like that Calvin hasn't been as reckless. But at the same time, sometimes you just need a little bit of that chaos to pull something out, especially in a fight like this. If you look at them at the end of the fight, you would think Calvin won that fight easily. Uh, but they both just kind of beat the crap out of each other. It, it was a great fight. The only thing that helps Cater Case is, once again, MMA decisions. The old media that gets laughed at quite a lot. I bet you it'll be referenced a lot this week. Well... Because it looked like three out of four, four out of five media members gave it to Cater, 48, 47. It was, let me see, I can see five Emmett scores, and I can see at least about, that looks to me like about 15 Cater scores. So it was literally three to one on MMA decisions. One went so far as to say 49, 46 Cater. The rest had 48, 47 Cater. And then two judges had it 48, 47 Emmett. Or not judges, media members. But this is how it broke down, goes. It was Douglas Crosby. I'm sorry. It was Douglas Crosby, Sal D'Amato, Chris Lee. I may have said Derek Cleary. It was Douglas Crosby. The first round, all of them said Emmett. And I think I'm fine with that. I, I think Emmett did better in round one. In round two, two judges, Lee and Crosby, gave it to Cater. One gave it to D'Amato. So they were split on that second round. The third round... All three judges gave it to Josh Emmett. So now what we have going into the championship rounds is Douglas Crosby has Emmett up 2-1. Sal D'Amato has Douglas Crosby, sorry, has Josh Emmett up 3-0. And Chris Lee has Josh Emmett up 2-1. So on D'Amato's score, Cater's kind of drawing dead, we like to call it. Meaning no matter what cards they give you on the poker table, you can't beat Josh Emmett. Now, of course, if we get into 10-8s and shit, yeah, there's the draw or even a couple 10-8s would then sway it back to Cater. But you know what I mean. If it's 10-9 the rest of the way, Cater can't win. But regardless, two judges, 2-1, one judge, 3 nothing. We get into the fourth round, and Crosby and Diamato go 10-9 Cater, which is what I felt. Cater won that round. But Chris Lee goes, nah, give me Emmett. So now going into round five, Chris Lee has it 3-1 Emmett. Sal D'Amato has it 3-1 Emmett. And Douglas Crosby has it 2-2 Cater. What does that mean? Cater's drawing dead on two judges' scorecards because it's already 3-1 going into round five, similar to Glover Teixeira and uh, Yuri Prochaska a week ago. So if we had had that live scoring that everybody wants, Cater would have looked up. Tyson Chartier would have looked up and said, oh, shit. We need the fucking finish, right? Which maybe makes the criticism that we're giving Calvin Cater uh, maybe makes him, um, I guess, take it to that 80 miles an hour or the fifth gear or the sixth gear or whatever, 100 miles an hour, because he realizes what the score is. So that's an instance where you go, hmm, that might be the kick in the ass that Cater needs. Now, granted, this is if if they haven't looked up the first few rounds anyway, because the way the fight was unfolding, maybe they – they reached this conclusion earlier. But regardless, we get to the fifth round. 
Crosby gives it 10-9 Cater. So his scorecard is 48-47 Cater. Sal D'Amato gives 10-9 to Cater. But remember, it was already 3 nothing, and Cater got the last two rounds. So D'Amato goes 48-47. And then Chris Lee, he had a 3-1 Emmett, so it didn't matter. Cater wins that round, 48-47 Emmett. And there you have it. That's the end of it. And what have I been saying? Next week, there's already a new fight card. And the week after that, there's another fight card. In fact, there's a pay-per-view. And the only one that loses here is Calvin Cater. He didn't get a win bonus. You know, he had a, a great fight. Sure, but he doesn't get the win bonus. And now everyone's going to talk about Josh Emmett and the winner of Volkanovski versus Ortega or maybe some other guy and Josh Bennett versus the winner of uh, Ortega and, sorry, Holloway and uh, Volkanovski. Cater gets left to the side. It's so sad, dude. It's so sad when it comes to the split decision 48-47 is the way this just boils down to, I guess it's the same goes as 23-21. You're out of the playoffs. See you next year, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it can definitely change the trajectory of somebody's career. Um, but, you know, like we said, I, I do feel like Calvin looks back and, and regrets that. Open scoring might have uh, helped out early on in the fight. But again, there are so many other scenarios where it could really suck. So uh, it, it just comes down to, I don't feel like that was a robbery in any direction. You know, if, if you went, if you went Calvin Cater, if you, if you went Josh Emmett, mm-hmm. it was just a damn good fight. Sometimes those things are just going to happen. But I'm pretty sure Dana White hooks up Calvin Cater. You know, he's a, he's a Boston guy. Um, it was a great fight. He stressed that it was a great fight. So, yeah, maybe he doesn't get his win bonus, but I'm pretty sure he's taking home some kind of bonus. By the way, we'll be talking to Anthony Pettis later in the show as well. I mentioned PFL. We'll be recapping a little bit of the the, the results there from Friday night's PFL. So, speaking of PFL, someone who's on the Week 5 card, uh, Anthony Pettis, will join us. He's in a nice spot too, man, with six points. Good on him. Former WEC UFC champ. Always have a blast talking to him. Yeah, you know, because I was thinking about it here. I guess what I can think of is this. Just not to be the dead horse, dude. Two judges had it 1-1 going into round third. You got that, right? Yeah. Okay. One judge had it 2 nothing Emmett going into round three. So what I'm thinking is if Tyson Chartier sees that, he can communicate this to him. Hey, two judges have it 1-1 going into round three. But one guy's already got you 2 nothing. We have to have round three so that that way you can be up 2-1 going into the championship rounds. And on this one judge's card, you're not drawing dead going into round four. You, you're, you're, you're not down 3 nothing going down going into rounds four and five. We need this round. Now, does Cater go out there? I don't know. Because it's not like Cater just walks out there and goes, Josh, I'm going to get this round. I mean, Josh is ready to fuck him up as soon as he's walking out of his corner, too. So it's not as easy as that. It's just what I'm trying to do is kind of, I guess, put you all in the mindset of the good and the bad that comes with open scoring. Because I know a lot of people like to scream, you know, robberies and this and that or whatever. It wasn't a robbery. It was a close fight. But just like I said, like when my 49ers got eliminated by the Rams and I said, oh, shit, see you next year. That means my team that got eliminated in January, I'm not seeing them until September. Calvin Cater, same spot. 
He basically got eliminated from a contention of fighting for a world title anytime soon. See you in about a year. But he'll have to win a fight or two before he can before we can all go, you know, if Cater wins this fight, he might fight the winner of Volkanovsky and Holloway or whoever's there at the time. That's how costly these losses are. Yeah, and don't forget, like, okay, uh, you show Calvin Cater these scores, open scoring, but guess what? Josh Emmett and his team get to see the scores too, mm-hmm. and they get to make adjustments to what they believe Calvin Cater is going to be doing, right? So uh, it, it's just a mess, man. It really is when, when you bring in open scoring, but great fight. I mean, there's nothing to complain about here. Overall, the whole card just had had its moments, you know? Yeah, except with one thing goes one. You know who didn't have their moment? The co-main event of Donald Cerrone uh, and Joe Lazan. They didn't have a moment. So Joe Lazan, as you all know by now, was not able to compete. I know it sounds terrible that I'm giggling, but even those guys would giggle if they were if they if the Cerrone and Lazan show was on tonight and they were talking about Goes and I fighting, and we did what they did, they'd have a giggle. All right. So what happened was what had happened was Joe Lazan locked his knee he his knee locked up on him after the first weigh-ins that's why you didn't see him at the ceremonial weigh-ins he tried like hell for 24 hours to i guess unlock it or whatever the procedure is couldn't do it in time he did it before the fight started but it was too late the fight had already been canceled because remember both made weight but uh yeah like by then i guess Cerrone was out of the frame of mind the ufc had taken the fight off it was done and Dana White is already uh, poo-pooed on Cerrone versus Lazan number three, which I wish he wouldn't. I, I I can understand his frustration. It's not Tony Habib yet. It's on its way. But I think those guys went through five setups before, before it all ended, right? These guys are only on number two. And both guys usually don't pull out. So I'm pretty confident that if you booked them a third time, Lazan's knee's not going to lock up. And Cerrone's not going to eat some bad Mexican food that's going to mess his stomach up from the night before. I'd really like to see it, honestly. But we'll see. I think Dana was just probably frustrated. Yeah, I mean, at this point, come on. Just give us a damn fight. Um, nobody's hurt. You know, Joe kind of figured out what was going on. And, and I think going forward, if that were to happen again, knows how to fix it. So, yeah, just give us the damn fight, man. I mean, just put him on something on another card because that's two training camps for both guys, you know, and not getting the fight after all that, um, especially when you think about the money that they kind of command at this point in their career. Just give them the damn fight. Put them on give the next the card. Whatever. They've deserved it. They've spilled blood on that octagon. You know, they've they've made fans of the UFC through some of their wars. I think they deserve it. Get it together. I think we broke some news last week about Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. And I remember the article said Boston and Atlanta are in play. If it goes to Boston, I'm sure Lazan would love that. Uh, I certainly hope both guys got their show because they did their job and they weighed in. And it's just, again, unfortunate. You know who I really, really breaks it breaks my heart for is everyone that travels for Team Lazan, Donald Cerrone's poor grandma. She's still with us, right? I think so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just 
all of that, man. Like it's like, oh, that that part, that part must suck a little bit, you know. Like that, that's a lot of money for travel nowadays. Yeah, the time off of work and all that that goes into that. That just completely sucks for those people. And it's not like you're stuck in these uh, incredible cities where, all right, well, take it easy. Phoenix and and Austin is going to get mad at goes. I mean, they're they're cool cities. I'm talking about like landmarks and stuff like that. You know, like, I don't know. Well, I guess, I guess you're right. If we're in Vegas, oh, well, we got to go to Vegas, right? I mean, that's not too hard, but. Been to Arizona. Arizona's great, but it's not like uh, there's 24 hour action, you know, things that you got to be seeing. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So the co main event, guys, became Holland versus Means. Kevin Holland, superhero Kevin Holland, who apparently took down another bad guy on Fight Week. He defeated Tim Means via submission, Darth Choke. More than anything, Kevin Holland just looked fucking great, man. Like, you know how much I like Tim Means. We've covered him for a while. He's been to our studio. We have him on the show a lot. I just like his story. You know, he's been so honest about just the rough upbringing, but he was able to change his life around. And and uh, so I was hoping that this would kind of be a classic that went into round three. But I recognized pretty early, pretty early that Holland just came in some great shape and was just the speed. The speed was a lot for Tim Means. So... Holland was going to have to slow down. Tim Means was going to have to damage him. And then in round three, it was going to come down to heart. But we never made it that far because Kevin Holland was just a tough customer who's maturing. And now that athleticism and his mind, they're all starting to balance out. Plus, at 170, holy cow, this guy held his own as a middleweight. Now he's a fucking welterweight who's actually really, really immersed himself in wrestling in the last year. We got ourselves a problem at 170, man. That guy's a problem for anybody that fights at 170 in my opinion i was actually impressed that i, I feel like his striking his striking has improved it's more pinpoint now um he doesn't just kind of throw he, he actually looks to counter at moments that's tough to do especially with a guy like tim means in front of you so i thought he looked very damn impressive and tim means unfortunately uh for as much as i root for him and and like him as a person um i think he just ran into a way tough tougher cat this night but I also do feel like maybe he slowed down just a little bit. I would agree with that. I think that's an honest assessment. Assessment. All right. So then we get to Joaquin Buckley versus uh, Albert Durayev. That fight unfortunately ended with Durayev's eye being swollen shut, and uh, Joaquin Buckley gets his hand raised. But you know what, Durayev, I thought had a good representation of himself. It's just unfortunate that his eye was swollen shut and he could not continue. The fight was stopped in between rounds two and three. Congrats to Joaquin Buckley. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I thought it was a good performance for Joaquin Buckley. Um, The eye was pretty bad, though. I mean, those types of injuries, they take a while to come back from, and it's such a sensitive area of your body that uh, I agree. I I thought it should be stopped. I remember, I think, when they were doing that, I think we both kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, there's no way the doctor's going to let that go. And and rightfully so. You know, you have to protect these fighters in their careers. This next one was a really good fight. Damir Imazgulov versus Guram Kutaladze. I thought Kutaladze won, but at the same time, 
I'm not going to sit here and cry about it. It was a split decision. Uh, Ismagulov is now 24 and 1. Kutaladze drops to 12 and 3. Both guys had some really, really good skills. Where I thought Kutaladze blew it goes because when he was just throwing, he was fine. He kept insisting on trying to take Ismagulov, Ismagulov, whatever the fuck, um, take him down, and he just couldn't do it. He couldn't do it, and Ismagulov's defensive wrestling skills are really exceptional, let me tell you. Um, now this isn't the first time I've seen him, too. He's not easy to take down at all, and I don't know why he kept insisting. Every time he did it, it just seemed like he was either giving the other guy some confidence, or at least that was times where he wasn't throwing. I don't. I thought he, Ismagulov was saying, holy cow, this guy's striking a lot better than I thought he was. I'm. I got a concern here in front of me, and every time this guy tried to wrestle, he's. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'm not concerned at this point. I'm not concerned, and um, I just think he blew a lot of energy that way. And I thought maybe he put some pressure on him. I thought so too. I thought uh, going for the the shots were a little sloppy, led to things that put him in a bad position. Um, but overall, that was kind of a fun fight too. And that was the theme of the night was. There were a lot of these types of fights. Julian Marquez used to live in the in the Vegas area, in Vegas, I should say, and he came to the show a few times in studio, kind of really grew to like this guy. He was a staple at Dana White Contender Series, moved back to Casey a few years ago. Man, but I wanted him to win against Garrett Gregory Rodriguez. He always has these good shout-outs. Remember the whole Miley Cyrus thing? Um, he's always had something for, not Katy Perry, who's the other one? Taylor Swift, I think, is another one, right? Yeah. He, he's, he's funny. He's he's entertaining, but he could not get past Gregory Rodriguez. Goes these guys were swinging and banging, like Derek Lewis has to say, all the way to the bitter end. Rodriguez just got him. There's re- there really aren't very many excuses you could throw here. I just felt like Rodriguez proved to be the better fighter. You know, um, if you're Julian, I think a lot of things went his way in this fight. He just didn't capitalize, and Rodriguez did. That, that's just how it, how it happens sometimes. But if you look at some of the things that have come out post-fight, Julian seems to be in a good place mentally. Uh, I don't think he's injured. And he's saying all the right things, so hopefully he can turn it around. But I just thought that was a great uh, a victory, and there's not much you could take away. You know, as a casual observer of the the – you know, the human body to me, it just seems like Julian's almost too jacked. And I've seen a lot of guys that are jacked, but they still retain speed and pop. It seems like he has power because he's jacked. But I think if he took just a little bit of muscle off, I think he could be a little bit of quicker. He's, he kind of lumbers around when he's throwing some of these strikes. Now, again, when they hit, ooh, you don't want to be on the other end of it. But I feel like he gets beat to the punch because of that just by like a half second. I don't know. I, I'd like to ask James Krause what he thinks. Maybe even just Julian Marquez. He'll give us an honest answer. But to me, that's just kind of how it seems, like that some of that power that he does have sometimes comes back to bite him because he's a little bit slower in some of those exchanges. Yeah, it could be. I mean, he landed some good shots. So just He just couldn't get it done. Yeah. Adrian Yanez defeated Tony Kelly. Wow, the crowd go nuts. He put Texas... MMA on the map, you know, he got a big pop out of that. 
if you all recall, Tony Kelly was the cornerman for Andrea Lee. That's there's each other, you know, they're dating each other. And, you know, he had the, the, the filthy Brazilians cheating comment that didn't go over very well. And then even his apology or whatever it was he tried to say on his behalf, nobody was feeling it, especially the Brazilians. So I feel like this guy was captivating in Brazil. The Texas audience obviously went nuts. The ones that didn't even know about what had happened with 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 the the incident with Andrea Lee, they just popped for the guy in Vegas. And then on top of that, I heard Tony Kelly was you know talking and just zero remorse. Uh, so Giannis put it on him, man. He totally did. But and you know like if you know Giannis' story, uh, he just became a father, but he also lost a mentor and a coach you know, in South Solis, and he's been running that gym. So um, it's just such a good story, and to see him get that victory and to do it in the way he did, it seems like he's always carrying something on his shoulders, defending something. And uh, that's good, man. That, that, like, that puts a little extra pressure. It, it, it helps you out later on in your career when you have these bigger fights, which I feel like Adrian is, is ready for them. He's, he was really, really, really dominant in that one. I mean, he hurt him bad. And uh, <clears throat> he doesn't really come from, like, a huge camp or anything like that. So the sky's the limit for, for this kid, for Adrian Yanez. Agreed. Natalia Silva defeated Jasmine. Jasu DeVicious. Jeremiah Wells, first-round left-hook KO of Cor McGee. Ricardo Ramos defeated Danny Chavez. He had a spinning back elbow followed up with some punches. That also went down in round one. I'm telling you, man. It was a savage, a night of savagery in, in Austin, Texas. We had so many finishes, a lot of them in the first round. Maria Oliveira defeated Gloria DePaula, split decision there. Cody Stamen, first round, man, knees, punches, elbows, the whole kitchen sink at Eddie Wineland. Eddie Wineland, former WEC Bantamweight champion, uh, also go, uh, decides to call it a career. Congratulations to him. He has that one belt he can always be proud of. And uh, but he left his gloves behind in Austin, Texas. Phil Haas defeated Deron Wynn. That was a second round stoppage. TKO elbows. Deron Wynn, Jesus, that guy was a zombie. He would just not go down. Phil Hollins, Phil uh, <laughs> Collins, Phil Haas was giving him everything he had. Congrats to him. Roman Delizzi got the night started with a knee and the clinch, and then followed it up with some punches that put out Kyle Dacus, and that also happened in round one so the performances of the night there's a lot of them fight of the night cater and emmett performance of the night is holland buckley rodriguez yanez wells ramos damon haas i love it goes i love it sorry and delete everyone that finished got a bonus this basically was just like uh london england yeah that is cool i really like that as well yeah all right Anthony Pettis is ready to go. Let's do a quick chat with Anthony Pettis. He's always on point, former WEC and UFC champ, and, of course, the owner of the legendary Showtime Kick. Hell, I might start the interview just with that. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another MMA superstar. This time we get to chat with PFL lightweight Anthony Pettis. He's a former WEC and UFC lightweight champ. He gets down on June 24th. It's a Friday. Catch it on ESPN. His opponent, Stevie Ray. What's up, AP? How are you? 
I'm good, bro. Can't complain. Nice. So listen, man. This year especially, but I guess just the last few years have produced a lot of great techniques that just drop people's jaws, you know, because MMA can be so beautiful and so violent, right? And, you know, I'll give an example. Uh, Molly McCann and that the, the, the spinning uh, elbow that she threw. Yeah, yeah. She had a spinning back fist uh, in the Zhang Wei Li fight. Chandler with the up kick. But would, when you watch the fights, does just your ego kind of tell you, nah, the Showtime's still number one? Like, you know, does it hold up at least to you? Because I know it does to a lot of fans, man. I could probably make the argument as well. Just such a captivating technique, and it happened such a long time ago that the young fans don't even realize it, that it's in the history books. Yeah, man. I mean, the Showtime kick was something that was amazing, bro. Like, And not only the way I did it, but, like, the circumstances I did it under. You know, like, the the, the fourth, the, the final round, the thir 30 seconds left to win the title oh, shot. Was, it was amazing. You guys exactly. hear me? Yeah, yeah we can hear you. We're good? Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, so Anderson Silva over Vitor Belfort, that one protected his title. Okay, that carries weight. McCann, no disrespect to her, beautiful technique, but it wasn't in a title fight like yours was. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was an arguable 2-2 going into the fifth. That one steals the show. Stefan Bonner's reaction alone, like that's a, a veteran who was in a great fight, and he was at a loss for words. So I don't know, man. That, that, that technique is still up there for me. And, and like – the timing of it all, you did it against a great fighter, not a jabroni. You know what I mean? It, it, it carries weight still, man, to this day. Yeah, bro. No, I think uh, the Showtime kick, I don't think it's going anywhere, bro. Like, even now, I, I, when people see me, they're like, uh, oh, you're a fighter? Like, oh, you're the guy that did that kick off the cage. You know, that remember me for that. You know, not not the UFC win, the Weedy Box, you know, WC. Like, they remember me for the Showtime kick. And I think uh, it was just an, it was an amazing move, honestly. It was, man. It, it's See, I grew up before MMA w w even started. So you think of like Ali standing over listening, Dr. J, you know, a dunk that he may have had, the catch by Dwight, Dwight Clark and, you know, and Joe Montana threw it to him. Some of these memories just live on. And I think for MMA fans, that's going to be something that, that goes on. And I'm, I'm glad you can still talk about it with a passion because I know that for a lot of athletes, it's like, oh, come on, dude, that was 15 years ago. Yeah, man. I mean, it's crazy how long ago it was, bro. Like my daughter's, my daughter's turning eleven next next month, and I'm like, whoa, bro. I've been around for a while, you know. Like I've 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 been in this sport for a long time. You sure have. And boy, you look great a few months ago. So Thanks, you weren't lying. You told us, hey, it was going to be different. I got the format down. Uh, I'm ready. And you went out there. You snatched six points. So I want to ask you what made sound like a ridiculous question, but when someone has zero points. They're going to have to fight out of their shell and maybe get away from a disciplined game plan that they're used to to get six so they can advance to the playoffs. How about you? Can you in any way be complacent because you kind of already have a spot sealed so you you know, you know want to make sure you don't get injured and you want to be strategic? To, like, does that even weigh on you or are you just – Yeah, no, million percent, bro. Like, yeah, I think last season taught me a lot. You know, like I, I didn't know what to expect last season. You know, last season I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out there and, and whoop these guys' ass and, and get my get my next my belt again. And unfortunately, that first fight didn't go didn't go my way at all. So I, I know how it feels coming into this fight with no points. You know, you really you, if if you don't win and you don't usually if you don't get a decision, I mean a, a finish, you're not in the playoffs. You know, like you need them you need them five or six points to, to get to that to get to the playoffs. Um, just all depends on what happens this Friday, really. Like, um, you know, all the pressure is really on Stevie Ray, and uh, 
I, I'm a lot smarter than I was last year. Last year, I was I was trying to go out there and prove something and try to be Showtime, and you know, it was a new organization. I had I felt like it was a a lot of a lot of pressure on me that I've never felt before. And then fighting back to back to back is it's different, you know. Like my my whole career, I was able to to bust my ass during training camp, have a fight, take as much as time off as I needed, and then you know do it all over again. This format's not the case, you know. I'm fighting June 24th. I have another one August 5th after I win this one. Um, and then right, right to November. So it's 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 a, it's a crazy format that uh you got to be smart about it. You can't go out there and just think you're just gonna you know walk through these guys or win. Anything could happen. Um and and you know God forbid you break something, you're out you're out the whole season. So um you know I'm definitely being a lot smarter. In my my training camp is is right for what I'm doing now for the format that I'm I'm pursuing. Are you having fun? And in your career, have you always had fun, or has this job ever just been stressful? Bro, I love this job, bro. I, I, love, I mean, it's definitely stressful. Like, you, you can't control what happens in the in the cage. You know, like you, you can prepare for everything, and you know, anything can happen out of there. So, like, really, um, you know, my my passion is is I still love training. You know, and I the new format. You know, I, I'm the way I'm training now is like a boxer. You know, I, I have I, I hired all my coaches. They they live it. They come here to Vegas. They stay at hotels, you know, it's expensive, but it's the right way to do this. Um, my training partners are guys that uh, look like my opponents. They're not just random people that are, are just sparring with me for no reason. Everything's for a purpose. And, uh, and I learned that, you know, watching these these boxers out here, bro, like my, one of my main boxing coaches, Jorge Capatillo, seeing the way his boxers train and, and you know, how smart they are in their preparation, it's a lot different than MMA. And I, I took that approach. Anthony, I was thinking about your career and everything that you've been through. And along the way, I have to imagine, even though you face some of the best fighters in the world, there's got to be moments in your career or in your life where you were afraid. Can you point to one moment uh, a fear that maybe you were able to conquer and maybe even use to your advantage? In your career? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm still afraid, you know, like uh, even though I, I am where I'm at, um, you know, financially and, and legacy of my career, um, you know, anything could happen out there, bro. Like we're, we're fighting. We're not playing a sport. You know, you, you take another boxer just died, you know, not too long ago, unfortunately. Rest in peace, man. Like this, this is fighting. This is not a sport, man. Like th this is this is life changing stuff. You know, I just had a new daughter and and knowing that, like, I'm putting my body at risk and, and potentially, you know, it could change the way my my future goes with my kids. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always afraid when I when I go in that cage. But I think that's what I use to 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 perform the way I do. You know, I think um I'm a lot smarter with my fear now. I know how to channel it and 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 use my energy to 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 do the like like my last fight. You know, like I I I think I very I was very composed. I looked like a professional my last fight. And then if you look at last season, I looked like an amateur. But I was out there just trying to fight, and uh, it was a mindset change. You know, I had to go out there and like really practice on. You know, being a professional and, and doing things to, to win the fight and, and being smart. And no lie, like seeing these boxers, the way the way these boxers approach their fights, it's it's a thing of beauty, bro. Like sometimes you don't get these wars in boxing, but when you when you appreciate what they're doing and how long they can do it for 36 minutes, it's like, yo, that's what you got to tap into. George brought up the Showtime kick and what you were able to do with something like that. And, and the thing that I find amazing about that kick is even if you told somebody that's a athletic to replicate it in practice, I don't know that they'd be able to do it even slowing things down and saying, okay, you stand there. I'm going to get my, like, it's, so, you did it in a fight, which is crazy to me. But is uh, Duke Rufus one time told us, he goes, that was cool, but I've seen him do even crazier things. Is there still something up your sleeve that you haven't done? Is there anything that's eluded you, a finish, 
anything in your career? Oh man, there's so much stuff that I that I've done in sparring that uh you know that just I haven't had the opportunity to do it in a fight yet. Um, and and it's all opportunity you know based. Like I, you got to see the opening, you got to see the right the right response, the right guy. Um, the right confidence to to throw these kind of moves, but um, I think it comes from my taekwondo background, bro. Like if you look at all the taekwondo guys and you see the kind of moves that they're throwing, um, I mastered those moves. You know, I've been doing taekwondo since I was five years old, and you know, I'm I'm able to do these in real fights, and not a lot of guys can do that. All right, back to me with some ridiculous questions. You have you seen the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe? Like one of my favorite movies. Do you think, because you did admit that you have some fears, and maybe Russell Crowe had some fears too, but do you think that if this was Roman times, you would have been one of those gladiators, or is that just too raw, man, to the death? Oh, bro, like, I feel like the way I left the UFC was exactly that movie, bro. I had to fight for my freedom. Um, you know, I, I fought my contract out. Um, I did it the right way. You know, a lot of guys, like, go in the media, and they're like, oh, UFC, they try to badmouth in the UFC. Like, nah, bro, you signed a contract. You, 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 you know what's at stake, and... You know, if you lose your last fight, leaving the UFC, unfortunately, everything changes. So, um, yeah, I feel, honestly, like that movie was like one of those one of those things when I told Duke, I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm in Gladiator right now. I'm fighting for my freedom. <laughs> yeah, man, that movie, holy cow, they went at it in that one. Um, with down the road, um, you're with PFL, I got it. But down the road, would you ever try bare knuckle again? I've asked MMA fighters. Some have said nah, too much. Others are like, yeah, that that you know, that's me as well. Nah, I mean, maybe. I mean, it just depends on the opponent, obviously, and, uh, like, the, the what's, that, what's what's on the line. You know, I, I I wouldn't just go out there and try to, like, start from the beginning and, you know, work my way up to a title shot in bare knuckle. I, I'd, I like to real, really box. You know, I think I've been spending a lot of time in the boxing gym. I haven't got – I didn't get to show my boxing skills my last fight, but hopefully, you know, with Stevie Ray, I get to show what I've been working on with my hands. Um, but, yeah, I'd lean more towards a real boxing fight before bare knuckle. But I wouldn't rule it out, bro. I love I love fighting. You know, this is what I was born to do. Um, I'm an entertaining fighter, and you know, fans love to watch me fight. All right. Now on this one, I'm gonna ask you to keep it 100, like the kids say. Um, how many rounds can your calves go in boxing? Uh, because the transition to boxing obviously is different. Your legs, and from boxers that I've talked to, they always talk about you know their calves and and being strong for 12 rounds. So let's say you were to have a pro fight. Can your legs hold up for four, six, eight, ten? Where do you think you're you're at yeah, right now? I already spar to... I already spar eight to ten rounds boxing right now. Um, and I okay. like I said, I, I changed my my training style towards more of a boxer striker. Um, you know, I think uh, earlier in, earlier in my career, I was really trying to catch up on the jujitsu and wrestling portion of mixed martial arts, and uh, I, I didn't do a lot of the road work, the uh, the jump rope, the the things that you know get get gives your legs the energy. Um, if you watch my Instagram, if you follow me, bro, I run every morning now with these boxers. You know, we're that's it's part of my day now. I wake up, we, we run at 6:30 a.m. Um, we're doing three to five miles. Um, right, right after that, we do our boxing practice, which has run, running in it. Um, we're also jumping ropes. So I, I know the importance of, of having the the strong legs and the endurance in the legs. Um, and, and it does it helps with mixed martial arts too, bro. Like it really helps with your uh, with your confidence in, in being in shape. Yeah, this brutal heat too, man. Must be pretty taxing. And I wanted to ask you, do you do it at the mountain as well, or or uh, just around here in Vegas? We, we do the mountain as well, man. So Saturdays we go to Carlson. We do a, it's seven miles uphill. It takes about an hour and a half. Um, it's just straight uphill, and uh, you know it's cool because we got we probably got like fifteen dudes running it with us, and you you see like the guys that are the quick boxers that are you know in in title title contention shape, and then you see the guys that are like six round shape and eight round shape, and yeah. you could see the difference. <laughs> 
Exactly. Except I think I'd use any word but cool to describe that, man. I don't think I don't think I could make one mile. And if someone said, how did it go? I don't think I'd say it's cool. But the best thing about it is it's a fight in your own head, bro. Like like the resistance that you that your body gives, you really feel it during that. Like the, you try to figure out every which way to stop or like figure out how to like slow it down or pace yourself. And it's a constant battle between you and yourself for an hour and a half straight uphill. And then when you get to that last mile, you're like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And it's nothing like you know. You get to that top, and you're just like, man, you feel accomplished. Every every time I do it, bro, I'm like, yo, I, I try to beat my my last time, and uh, you know, I I, I I compete with myself, and you know, it, you you have an hour and a half to be in your own head, and you're, you're for that voice is that voice that tells you to quit, just screaming, it's like nice. slow down, stop, and and you just gotta fight that, and that's what fighting is, bro. Like when you get into these these fights, like like Glover and and this last fight, bro, like that was a, a war that these guys went through. And I'm sure both of them, that they're both of their little voices in their head were like, yo, figure out how to, how to get out of this fight. And I've been there before, man, with RDA, with uh, Ben Henderson, you know, and, and practicing that on, on a week, on a, a weekly basis is definitely different than just seeing it once in, you know, twice a year. Yeah. So folks, for those that don't know in Vegas, we're about 2,500 altitude. So them going to Mount Charleston, Probably adding what another five thousand or something. You get to about yeah, seven or eight, right? You get to the top, you're at eight thousand. Mm. Your lungs must be cooking, man. Oh. And it's cold, and it's cold. So we go, we go at six a.m. And so, like, you you start, it's like freezing at the bottom, and the time you get to the top, you're, you you can't stop sweating. You guys are on fighters. You guys are gangsters. I don't know how you do it. All right, we're gonna close with fashion. Last time we talked about the forty G watch. It's worth sixty now. Hats off to that. So um, let me ask you something. When it comes to hats. Is this still in this deal, bro? I wear it, man. I think my my whole my whole style is just like whatever I want to wear now, bro. I think I used to care about what people think, and now it's just right. like, if, if I like it, I don't give a fuck what people think. Um, right, yeah. Well, what do you think of this guy that walks in walks in like this with the flat bill? That's out, isn't it, or is it is it still in? No, nah, I mean when I when I go fishing, I wear the, I wear the flat bill. Okay. What about this guy? What do you think of that guy? Yo, what's what, up? Is that to the left? I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, nah, man, I, I'm not sure about all that, bro. I'm, I I got away from that life. I'm I'm out here in Vegas, just living the family life. Really? Does the left mean something, or it does? Oh, okay, all right. We'll talk about that later. No, yeah. Uh, and what about this guy? I kind of like this guy. The the taco shell, not not too much, but low, like low riding. Yeah, yeah, bro. In Vegas, you got to wear it like that. It's way too sunny out here, bro. When I, whenever right. I'm in Vegas, I I got to keep the hat on. Got to check in with the fashionista, Anthony Pettis. is always looking good. All right, Anthony. Hey, man. It's always a blast to talk to you. Can't wait to see you fight against Stevie Ray, June 24th. You always deliver. You got the belts to prove it. And people still talk about uh, a lot of the fights that you've done in the past. Last time we talked about that uh, that arm bar in Milwaukee. You know, like we were like, oh, what happened? And, and then you kind of explained that to us. So, yeah, anyway. God bless you, man. Talk to you soon, all right? Uh, and, and thanks for the time, as always. Thanks, man. Y'all be easy. All right. It goes. It sounds like he still uh, is nostalgic about the Showtime kick. That, that wasn't forced or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think you should. You should. Um, I get it. It probably gets asked a lot, but uh, he was in a good mood. And there's uh, always, like, a little backstory that we don't know about these types of things. And I thought it was fun when Duke Rufus sat down with us and Tell us a little behind the scenes of, of things that he had been working on. So who knows? Maybe one day he can top it. But that's uh, that's pretty freaking tough, man. Do you think on a Saturday he does sit there when he sees some of these techniques and goes, that was dope? 
that was a nine and a half, but it wasn't a ten. It wasn't like when Jordan dunked become behind the free throw line or any of those perfect tens, you know, that, that you've seen in other sports. Um, it, it seems like there's like he still has an element of how special his was. Well, it was so special that it needed its own name, right? So yeah, yeah. I think for sure he does that. I still I still remember Stephen Bonner. Are you? I think he may have even said, fucking kidding me. <laughs> Seriously, like he couldn't believe what he had seen. Um, mm-hmm. let's stick with the PFL. Thank you to Anthony Pettis for his time. Hope you enjoyed that. The lightweights and light heavyweights were in action. Let's go through the card. Alex Martinez defeated Clay Collard in the main event. ACG, that's Antonio Carlos Jr. He defeated Bruce Soto, went to a decision. He's usually getting the quick finishes via his submission game, but uh, he had to work for this one. Olivier Aubin Mercier defeated Roush Monfio. Jeremy Stevens defeated Miles Price. Omari Akhmedov defeated Theodorus uh, Askulis. Natan Schult, a former champion in the lightweight division for the PFL, he defeated Marcin Held. Delon Monte defeated Emiliano Sordi. Sordi's a former champion for the PFL. Rob Wilkinson defeated Victor Pesta. Josh Silvera defeated uh, Martin Hamlet. Nate Jennerman defeated Jake Childers. So the theme here, I guess, goes is a lot of the guys that have come over just haven't produced i think like everyone thought they would like jeremy stevens i don't believe is unless there's some sort of a of uh a injury or you know something of that nature he's out and that would be similar to like anthony pettis and fabrice verdum of last year so the free agents don't always work out you know it's weird i was thinking about this so they didn't produce for themselves but they might have produced for the PFL, right? Because along the way, isn't that what gives guys like Hauschmann Fio and Clay Collard bigger names? Helps mm-hmm. them grow, shows that their brand isn't just uh, about, I don't want to say rejects, but, but people that left other organizations and coming over here to kind of pick on what people would say is prey. Um, they've defended their, their own home court, right? So so I don't know. I really don't know how to look at that. Um, you'll always have like that that Jeremy Stevens Clay Collard fight. That was one of the best PFL fights ever. It was awesome. So it's got to be yeah. worth something, right? I, I think in a way, Jeremy Stevens is going to be bummed, but I don't know that the PFL will look at it as a loss. Yeah, at least not openly. I don't think they will, but um, it yeah, it does serve its purpose, like. Pettis and Stevens losing the Collard made con- well Collard became big last year and he could have become even bigger after that first fight but then of course Collard doesn't make the playoffs and so there's a lot going on here um you know there's still a few more fighters that have to fight and so possibly one of them could sneak in there's always the kind of like the injury bug that can strike and I suppose there can be a way in that way but if you look at the PFL standings the Y means clinched first seed in division. The X means clinched playoff berth. The E means eliminated. So I wanted to be accurate, and I looked at this. In the lightweight division, there's an E next to Stevens. He's out. Schulte, out. He's a former champ. The X next to Collard means clinched playoff berth. But see, what trips me out is Collard 
How could he clinch the playoff berth if he's in the seventh position? He's got three points and Manfield's got four. I got to check in and see what the heck they're talking about. I don't know if that should be a next next to Collard's name. I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of kind of focusing more on the ease. You know, I think what it should mean is they might still be in the running or they have a they have a, a symbol there where the A means they could be an alternate, but I just don't see how he's clinched because the the four lightweights that I see are Pettis, who who has yet to fight a second fight, by the way. OAM, that's uh, Abin Mercier, uh, Martinez, and Roush Manfio, who's, who's sitting there at four points. Like, unless there's something I don't know, like Manfio was carted off with an ACL or something like that. Oh, okay, well, that would explain that, but I don't believe I've heard any of that stuff. Anyway, those are the results. What did you think of PFL, um, you know, now that they have a few seasons in front of them, now that we have a mix of very familiar names, you know, and, and some of their – homegrown talent are, are you enjoying it goes are you enjoying pfl product yeah it's very consistent it's consistently a good time and i like the mix of wanting to see how the new talent does there but at the same time watching some of the the talent that's been there for a minute defend their home court you know it's just it they've it's made it interesting tv almost can't miss tv for me i, I really do dig the pfl mm-hmm in the light heavyweight division, Robert Wilkinson, Omari Akmadoff, Antonio Carlos Jr., and Delon Monte are in the first four positions. A few fighters still have to have a few fights left. And remember, you can win and score six points, so some of these guys can get bumped. Um, we'll have to see how that all plays out. But uh, I know this much. Emiliano Sorti, a former champ, he is out. And again, Natan Schultz. I think he's going to wind up being out. Two former champs there, big names in Collard and Stevens, they may wind up being out. Even Martin Held, he was pretty respected in the UFC in early days of PFL. Stevie Ray, same thing. I don't know. I'll just say congrats to the guys that have made it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right, folks, we're going to get on out of here. It's been a long weekend. I hope you all really, really had a fun uh, and a great Father's Day. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, your support means a ton. We have our Thursday show coming up. But between then, make sure you check out Spinning Back Click, which will drop on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video. Check Goes and I every Monday on Spinning Back Click. Sorry, Tuesdays when it drops. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. We discuss some of these big topics in the sport of mixed martial arts, and we get to do it with our colleagues. So I think you guys will enjoy it. For now, we're out of here. Go out there and be a champion.